Welcome to the Alicia Powell Show. For the past two years, I've reported extensively on the murderous protocols hospitals across the nation have instituted since COVID began, in which COVID patients are admitted, they're given remdesivir, they're intubated, they're told that they died from COVID, but that's not really the case. Nurses across the country have sounded the alarm about how they're unwilling to continue to sit in the hospital and watch this murder take place and just go along with things while people are not dying from COVID. They're dying because they're being, there's this, I guess you could call it medical malpractice, but it's beyond that. The doctors and nurses are falling in line and, and, and administering this remdesivir, this intubation, and basically killing people. And there's just a select few courageous people, nurses across the country, doctors across the country who have been blowing the whistle. And my next guest, Kimberly Overton, has been doing just that. In fact, Kimberly started her own network, remnantnurses.org, in which nurses who actually do want to uphold the Hippocratic Oath and do want to save lives have a place to go now. And Kimberly, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about how what, what led you to starting Remnant Nursing and what you were witnessing in the hospital in, tw in 2020 and 2021? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alicia. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share with you. Um, so I started the organization Nurse Freedom Network, and that was back in July of 2021. I'm a critical care nurse. I worked throughout the pandemic directly caring for COVID patients. Um, at that time, I worked 18 months at the bedside through uh, all of the chaos of COVID that began in March, uh, March of 2020. And I started to become very uncomfortable with the protocols that we were using, specifically the remdesivir. So we know this medication is harmful. It's oftentimes deadly to patients. We know that it's nephrotoxic, meaning it's damaging to the kidneys. Now, interestingly, the World Health Organization actually recommended against the use of this medication because it was not effective against treating COVID-19. So because of that, I started to just be asking the question, um, why are we continuing to use this protocol and this medication that is really clearly doing more harm than good? And the bigger question, why is the government financially incentivizing its use? You know, and I couldn't continue especially knowing what I did, that I knew that there was early treatment available that was working, the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine. I knew that these therapeutics were available. And to see the hospitals denying these life-saving medications, it was just too much for me to, to bear. I could not continue to watch my patients needlessly die. And I ended up leaving bedside nursing because of that. You know, because they would continually tell us that COVID was killing all of our patients, but it's this is not the case. It, it truly, it's truly not the case. Um, patients were dying of the complete and total medical mismanagement of COVID. Now, what were your colleagues? Were they just going? What were they doing? What were they thinking? How, what did they express to you? Were they just going along with this mindlessly, like we see everyone wear the mask and line up to get vaccinated to keep their jobs, or were you the only one? who's like, this is crazy, we need to get out of here, we need to do something, we need to blow the whistle. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not the only one, um, but there are too few. I will say that there are too few. And I think that there were more people that recognized what was happening, 
but um, didn't necessarily push back as much as they probably could have or should have. I think as nurses, you know, I feel like we could have done more in the very beginning. The moment that they told us that our patients could not have an advocate at their side, that's the moment that we should have stood up as nurses and said, uh, no, no more. You know, th this is absurd. We cannot let the, the founding principles of nursing go out the window with a pandemic or, or whatever comes down the pipe. We don't give up things like informed consent and bodily autonomy. These are the guiding principles of ethical nursing. And uh, they're not something that are easily dismissed, but yet that's what happened, unfortunately. And patient care, they weren't allowing us to care for our patients in an appropriate manner. They had us going in the room. First of all, they had us wearing those N95 masks, right? They have them, us wearing them from our COVID patient room into our non-COVID patient room, multiple days at a time. Now, this is something like pre-COVID that infection control policies do not ever allow for. So from the very beginning, nothing really made any sense. And it, we weren't able to provide the care. We weren't able to get in there um, with our patients and ambulate them. We weren't able, you know, we're, we're leaving them laying there um, with no no uh, contact, no advocate at their side. Um, and, and it's very isolating. And we all know what happens when we are isolated, feeling alone and depressed. That actually drops your immune response. So all of these things, it was just the perfect storm um, for these patients. And over and over, we're watching them come in. We're using this medication, remdesivir, that's not effective. And then it's remdesivir, ventilator, death. Wash, rinse, repeat. I couldn't do it anymore. And it's it's funny because that people have lost their livelihoods over this. There's doctors now who are revoked of their medical license for actually saving people. And now they're up against the medical board to try to get their licenses back. And the medical board's recommending they go to the psych ward. Especially in Canada, there's a doctor who is sounding the alarm on the high number of stillbirth that, stillbirths that have taken place after women have mindlessly been vaccinated. I mean, typically there's one stillbirth or two stillbirths in a, in a year at a particular hospital or even in a, in a particular area. And that went up precipitously more to where you're seeing dozens of stillbirths. And ha have you witnessed anything like that? Tell us about, tell us more about what happened. What did you witness with, with COVID patients who admitted in the hospital? Yeah. So with, I mean, me personally, I worked in the, uh, an ICU. I didn't work in a NICU or anything like that, but I just did interview Dr. James Thorpe and a nurse whistleblower, Michelle Garshman, who uh, they were seeing incredible jumps. Um, I think it was like 15 fold. If I'm, I don't, don't quote me on that, but I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I mean, it was exponentially, um, you know, higher numbers of stillbirths that uh, they were seeing in their hospital. We actually just did an interview with them maybe last week. Um, so we're seeing this all across the country. And this is something that really disturbed me when we started vaccinating pregnant women. This is something that we've never done before. We don't ever give pregnant women experimental um, vaccines or any experimental drugs. So when we started doing that, that was something that, again, I really had to stand up and say, um, something's wrong here. And children, that was the line in the sand for me. So I left bedside and I started working as a telephone triage nurse. And I, I was a great alternative for a while, but then they wanted me to start recommending 
these shots for everyone, including children, and they wanted me to tout them as safe and effective, period. Well, we would have no way of knowing that. We had no long-term safety data. And the short-term data is alarming, to say the very least. So this is not informed consent. They're coming after nurses like myself. They're coming after doctors like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and others who are sounding the alarm on this. Yet they are letting people talk about safe and effective. If any nurse or doctor utters these words, they should have their licensure stripped and then they should face charges because this is not informed consent. We have no safety data and it does not meet the standard. Also, more uh, COVID patients, more people have died of COVID in the United States than any other country worldwide. And it's actually not because they're dying of COVID when there's treatment readily available for people, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and even just vitamins and budesonide and these sort of things. They're dying because these protocols are instituted and everyone, you know, every person who's lost their loved one in the hospital from COVID, that's probably not the case. I mean, you're probably better off just staying home with no medication than going to the hospital. What are your thoughts? Exactly. And that's why I started Remnant Nursing, because beyond the advocacy, you know, my larger vision for Nurse Freedom Network was really being able to create opportunities for nurses who are ready to break away from this just broken and oppressive. It's a sick care system. It does nothing to keep anyone well. So I wanted to create these opportunities. And I also wanted to be able to provide, um, you know, appropriate and safe and compassionate care for, uh, for, for our patients. Um, so I started Remnant Nursing. We are actually, a um, Nurse Freedom Network is a 501c3. I started alongside of that, uh, a PMA. It's a private membership association. So you do need to be a member in order to access our services. That Our, our um, program starts at $15 a month to access. And it, it's the benefit of this is twofold because it also creates opportunities for these nurses to be able to provide these services and for these patients to be able to um, receive care compassionate care, safe care from nurses who are awake to what's going on out there. Tell us more about remnant nurses. I know at least a dozen nurses who were calling the Gateway Pundit, where I also work, and telling me about how they just can't take it anymore. They've been a nurse for 20, 30 years, and they can't sit by and be complicit in this death sentence for innocent people, and now they're out of work. And, uh, you know, no matter how much we sound the alarm on this, this is still ongoing. So first tell us about if you're a nurse and you're out of work and or you're a doctor, I guess this would only be for nurses, but are they able to apply with remnant nurses and get back to work? Yes. So this is what we're doing. We actually have a really, uh, we're we're rolling out with our official launch. I'm going to be starting to do interviews. Um, so you do have to be a member of the private, uh, the PMA, the Private Membership Association, in order to access these opportunities, um, because we are getting ready to forge our own path, right? We don't have any financial backing or anything like that. So our, um, the, the, to sustain our model, it's crucial to have uh, membership retention and uh, recruitment and retention in order to sustain what we're doing. So if you're a member at uh, $30 a month or more, you'll be able to have access to the employment opportunities. We're doing some 1099 contracts and also we're creating, it's a very unique model. It is going to be some micro franchise. We're offering education for nurses because if you're like myself, who is very allopathically trained, 
we know that we need to have a different perspective. So we have training for functional medicine for nurses. We have training for homeopathy for nurses, for IV hydration therapies. So we have all of these trainings. You can uh, come in under our, our umbrella at Remnant Nursing and be a Remnant Nursing partner, where we're rolling out initially as telehealth. And then in, in later uh, phases of development, we do envision brick and mortars and uh, home visits and things of that nature, but we are rolling out slowly again as we as we grow. But they can certainly go to remnantnursing.org and you can click on uh, become a remnant nursing partner to learn more about how to do that. Now you've also uh, met you at the Reawaken America tour with Peter McCullough. Are you joining forces with these doctors and the wellness company to expand this network and get the word out? Or tell us more about how you began working with Dr. McCullough. Yeah, so it's a funny story with Dr. McCullough. So I actually met Dr. McCullough about a year ago. I met him at CPAC. We had, uh, been at, we had spoken at several events together, and I just never had the opportunity to really meet and have a conversation with him. So when I saw him there, he was giving an interview um, on Media Row at CPAC, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I am absolutely not leaving here until I meet that man, shake his hand, and just thank him for everything that he's done. So I stood and I waited and I waited. It was about 30 minutes until he wrapped up his interview. And he came out. I, I put my card in his hand, uh, very briefly kind of told him who I was and what we were doing. And we had a nice conversation, but, it, you know, it was, it was brief. Didn't really expect anything to come from that. And that later that evening, he actually emailed me and I couldn't believe it. I was, I was just completely shocked that he not only took the time to uh, didn't, well, first of all, he didn't even throw my card away, but he actually read it, but he took the time to research and look at the work that we're doing. And he, um, was, th he emailed me to thank me for my efforts. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, reached back out to him and asked him to come out. We did an event out here in Franklin, Tennessee, and I invited him to be our keynote speaker. Um, and he obliged, you know, he was happy to do it. So he's, he's been a really incredible support system uh, to the work that we're doing as well. So many of these other doctors, Dr. Richard Urso, Dr. Uh, Paul Marek, Dr. Pierre Corey and the FLCCC, all of them have been incredibly um, supportive of our efforts because it really is about coming together, all of us in this spirit of collaboration. This is how we win. This is a very big fight. And it's not going to be something that any one individual or any organization is going to be able to win on their own. It is going to take all of us coming together. Well, it's almost like it's a, a silent war. I mean, more people have probably died from between the vaccine and the hospital protocols than in World War II, yet there's just a silent killer where there's this slow poison shot and people at more and more dying suddenly every day, young, healthy people, children. It's a holocaust going on, but there's not that much alarm. Everyone's kind of just in a kind of hypnotic state and just uh, desensitized to what's happening right now. And I really thank you for doing what you've done. And it takes a sacrifice. It takes courage. And it takes a lot of diligence to go from working in the hospital to starting remnant nurses. And it's not like you're doing this to, for fame or money or fortune. If anything, you're, you're taking a risk. And who knows with this government, we've never witnessed, experienced anything like this with this government targeting doctors. 
and targeting speech, free speech. And it can get worse now where even having this kind of conversation makes us criminals in the future if we're not able to get the word out. And it's also like we're in an echo chamber, Kimberly, because those who know now already know and those who don't just don't. And the fact that we still walk outside and see people wearing masks every day shows that we're not getting the word out. We're not able to because of the censorship and the... Uh, the, the fact that you're going to lose your ability to be on any platform and say this sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate, but it seems that uh, people, they've normalized this. They've already normalized young and healthy individuals basically dropping dead. They think it's normal. It's like they start acting like this has always been this way and we just talk about it more now. And that's, that's absolutely not true. But they're normalizing this the same way, unfortunately, that they normalized SIDS sudden infant death syndrome. They're normalizing it in the same way that they've normalized autism and ADHD and chronic illness and so many other chronic illnesses that we've been dealing with for so long. You know, I didn't come into this fight anti-vax. I didn't. I was very pro-vaccine my entire life and nursing career. Um, and it's unfortunate, but I just, you know, so many of us implicitly trusted these vaccines. We don't, as nurses, get any education on them. We're just taught safe, effective, and necessary. No, and if you go into a hospital now, I mean, they still are recommending the vaccine for children. They still have the social distancing stickers on the wall and how COVID vaccines are so safe and effective. All of that propaganda is still on the wall. And it's just like, if you're not a parent who knows not knows what's going on in the world, you're mindlessly going to go and, 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 and vaccinate. It's not a vaccine and give your child this experimental mRNA technology. It's frightening. And exactly. I've seen people do it. I've seen people that sh who should know better, who have been very fearful of other vaccines and very hesitant with other vaccines. I've seen them turn around and still get the COVID vaccine. Now, fear is such a strong proponent for people. And when they tap into that, it's, it's amazing the type of compliance that they are able to gain by instilling this fear. And we're not meant to live this way. We are not meant to live in a spirit of fear. Um, so I also want to say that, you know, and people are, are walking around frightened right now because they see what's happening. They might be starting to wake up to it and they realize that they have themselves gotten vaccinated. They have gotten their children vaccinated and now they are living in the spirit of fear and dread. And I don't care what other people will tell you that there's no solutions. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's no hope. You know, we've been seeing incredible results with what we're doing um, with the program that we use at Remnant Nursing. Yeah, I actually tell, us about, tell us about this program and what you've been doing. Yeah, so we have a program. Um, it's, it's a vaccine injury program, but, you know, it's for everyone, even if you're not having symptoms. And there are um, supplements and formulations. We partnered with the uh, Root Wellness, Dr. Christina Rahm, who's local here in Tennessee. She has absolutely amazing formulations. And I, it would take me forever to get into her background, but I have all of that information. I'm happy to send it to you. Um, but she is absolutely amazing. And she has created these formulations that have been showing tremendous, tremendous results with my vaccine injured, with my long haulers. I'm seeing almost a complete reversal of symptoms in many cases. So I'm, I'm so excited to be able to be able to offer this, uh, these services. Now, we're actually doing a webinar, a fundraising webinar that's coming up um, February the 2nd. And we're going to be featuring one of the vaccine injured uh, registered nurses. Her name is Danielle Baker. 
Um, you might be familiar with her story that she was a, a registered nurse coerced into getting the vaccine. So our program at Remnant Nursing, it's a six-month program. The program itself for our nursing services is $850. And then the products are separate um, that, that come from Root. So what we're doing is raising funds. It'll be about $2,500. We'll cover six months worth of nursing services and products for these vaccine injured so that they will be able to try these potentially life-changing formulations at no cost to them. Um, because so many of them are out of work, they're disabled, they're not able to, you know, to, to be able to, um, to purchase these products or try these things. And, you know, they've gone through so many other, you know, therapies and, and this might work, this might not work. So I really want to be able to try to raise funds for them to try these because, again, I've seen so many amazing results and I've been doing this with them for about 10 months now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've done as much as I can do to talk about why you shouldn't go to the hospital, why you shouldn't get the vaccine. And at this point, I think the most imperative thing to do is to focus on solutions and how do you treat yourself from the uh, mRNA technology injury, how you treat yourself from vaccine injury. And also the fact is, Many of us who didn't comply and aren't vaccinated still are at risk because the vaccine sheds. Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad-free. Not a member yet? Try it for $1.